Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Well, we finally have some Gen 3 supercars revealed and even on track. Blanchard Racing Team became the first team to run its new car with a shakedown at Winton last week and is testing its car again at Winton today, while Dick Johnson Racing is running the 17 at Queensland Raceway today and Matt Stone Racing is also shaking down one of its Camaros. Tomorrow, Grove Racing, which unveiled its livery over the weekend, will run one of its Mustangs at Winton, while Tickford Racing will also shake down one car. And then on Thursday, Triple Eight and Premier Racing are expected to join DJR and MSR, who will return to the track for more shakedowns. The Gen 3 parody saga continues, though, with Ford performance boss Mark Rushbrook admitting over the weekend that Ford still isn't convinced that the Mustang is a match for the Camaro. We'll discuss that in more detail later in the show. There was drama at Mount Panorama on Sunday as Yul Gunon, Lucas Stoltz and Kenny Habul won a second straight Bathurst 12-hour. The race had a thrilling conclusion that included Gunon and fellow factory Mercedes driver Maro Engel clashing at the chase. Chaz Mostert, Fraser Ross and Liam Talbot were the Pro-Am winners and Andrew Fawcett, Daniel Gaunt and Dylan O'Keefe won the silver class. The 12-hour weekend also featured a frightening crash for Keith Kasulki after his Mark V8 went straight on up the chase and hit the wall in practice. He was transported to hospital but cleared of any serious injuries. Liam Lawson, meanwhile, lapped Mount Panorama in a Formula 1 car but didn't have a crack at Jensen Button's unofficial lap record. The 12-hour drew a record crowd of 53,446 people across the three days. Jack Perkins will continue as an Erebus Motorsport Endurance driver alongside Will Brown this season in supercars, and he'll also run a full Super 2 campaign with Erebus to bank race miles while also working with the academy drivers as a mentor. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that would sell his mother to win a race at Bathurst, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? G'day, Andrew. I am pretty exhausted after the weekend, so I mm. definitely won't uh, attempt any witty retort to your uh, your intro there. But I should uh, I should deny it just in case my mother listens to this. Yes, sorry, who, Mrs. who uh, actually used that line on the weekend? Uh, that was a Jules Gun online uh, when he was talking about his uh, robust defence in the closing stages of the races. We, we might hear that one later, but that's where that's where that came from. Um, and yes, of course, apologies, Mrs. Bartholomew. <laughs> I'm sure that you are not up for sale at all. Um, why are you so exhausted? Were you trying to chase that Nissan down the chute at 340 kilometres an hour at some point or what's what's going on? I don't know whether you noticed, Andrew, but it was a pretty long race on Sunday. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I hear you didn't actually get up for the start. No, no, no. I, uh, I stuck the uh, co-driver in for the 2.45 a.m. Perth time start, <laughs> which I uh, I feel was a pretty clever move. Even then, 
uh, it was still a fairly long race. It definitely, it's funny how you get to the closing stages of it and you trick yourself into going, all right, this thing's almost done. But then you're like, no, there's two hours and 45 minutes to go. (laughs) Like there is still, there is even the last hour. You're like, this is a whole hour. This is like a supercars race. There's still that whole thing to happen. So it is. There was plenty happening in that last hour at least to keep us entertained. That that is definitely definitely true, but it's certainly like a it's a baptism of fire to kick off the the racing season. You know, you come in a bit rusty after the break with your reporting skills, and you're like, oh man, this is a this is a pretty tough way to kick things off. But anyway, um, let's have a chat about the weekend. You've obviously got one up on me for the year already. You've actually been to a motor race. You were on the ground at the Bathurst Twelve Hour. Uh, I was not. Um, I mentioned the record crowd at the top of the show. There certainly the TV pictures suggested there was. There was a bit of buzz at the event, helped obviously by that Valentino Rossi factor. What was the atmosphere like on the ground there, Stefan? Yeah, it was incredible. It was just a sensational event, I think, both on and off the track. And, yeah, that Rossi factor was real. There's no doubt about that. There were so many fans wearing the that famous yellow 46 you know, either old merch from his bike career or what they were selling at the track. It just seemed to grow and grow through the weekend. So... I've got no doubt he was a big part of why they got that record crowd. And, uh, yeah, there was just plenty of people there, which was great to see. Like there were times on Saturday in the paddock where it was so full of people you could almost think you're at the 1,000. Yeah. And uh, even walking around on the grid on Sunday, like I couldn't believe how many people were were on the grid that early. Yeah, look, it definitely, like I say, even from afar you could sort of sense that that there was – you know, something special going on there. Um, it was certainly an exciting weekend of motorsport to kick off the year. Let's run through some of the highlights from the weekend as a whole. Before we get into the actual racing, um, that F1 demonstration, Stefan, like we saw some burnouts from Liam Lawson in the RB7, which is cool. We saw a Formula One car at Mount Panorama. That's cool. The V8 motor certainly sounded the business, but why on earth didn't they have a crack at a Hollywood lap time? Like to me, it was a bit of a letdown you know, I felt like, and they played an interview with Liam right before the demo where he said, oh, look, we're not going to try and go fast. We're not going after any records. And it was just kind of, I even went into the into watching it a little deflated having sort of heard that. Like, I don't know, it just, it fell a little short of what it could have been for me. Yeah, I think they sort of took that that package of doing donuts and stuff that they normally do, you know, on the Las Vegas Strip to announce that race or, or on any of those demos yeah. that they do, but they're at one of the world's great racetracks. So for sure it was disappointing that they didn't actually have a crack at it. But I think for the crowd at the circuit, like it was just cool to see the car on the track and hear that noise and that, but um, – yeah, for us, it, it just could have been so much more if they'd actually uh, had a proper crack at it. Yeah, I mean, I just think like big crowd, they actually see the fastest ever lap around Mount Panorama. Like, yeah, to, yeah. I don't know, not 100% sure, you know. Yeah, it's cool, but not as cool as it could be, which is a little disappointing. Let's move on to some GT3 action. Now, Stefan, last year you and I shared a few lols about how the Audi drivers got into their own qualifying bun fight and basically ensured they copped a BOP hit on the Saturday night. Um, I'm pretty sure you said last week that surely we wouldn't see the same thing happen again. Fast forward to Saturday evening and there's Mario Engel going under 2 minute 01 despite already having pole in his pocket in what looked a lot like a bit of a flex against young Brock Feeney in their little qualifying battle. The next minute the Mercs have copped 10 kilos of additional weight for Sunday and a heap of lambda changes and all sorts of stuff. And the Audis have lost 10 kilograms. Uh, did you enjoy that one, Stefan? 
Well, I mean, it was a really enjoyable shootout session, wasn't it? Yeah. It was yeah. awesome to watch, but it just has that extra bit of this is unbelievable for two reasons. <laughs> One, that's a very good lap time, but two, is it really that smart? So, yeah, I think not only did they get the weight penalty, but I think the tyre pressure rule tweak yep. that happened on Saturday night was also largely aimed at the Mercs as Correct. well. But, you know, I mean, we can't laugh too hard here because they were still the cars to beat in the race, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. But it is kind of funny how it plays out. And, I mean, really, we should be happy that the drivers keep forgetting that they, they probably shouldn't do that <laughs> because we've had two years of thrilling qualifying. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of funny how it plays out. I, I want to chat about the qualifying format a little bit, and I, and I do want to start with the with the shootout. I mean, your colleague, Will Dale, wrote something early in the weekend saying the multi-lap, multi-car shootout format was facing a test in its second year. I think it passed the test. I kind of went into the shootout still not entirely sold. Like, it's, it was actually just the start. I actually messaged you about this. I was like, is this – it doesn't feel like a shootout when there's not like a car parked at the end of pit lane on its warm-up lap. It's sort of a less traditional way – for the for, for the session to come to life. Q1, the first session was kind of not overly thrilling, but the second part really was very, very enjoyable. Probably the only change I would make to that format, which I think has the potential to become unique to the 12-hour, is just send all 10 cars out there at once. Like, it's a big track, and it would give those guys outside the top five a chance at moving up the order a bit because I think in those sorts of weather conditions – you really needed to be in that second session to have any shot of pole. We literally saw them split five for five. Uh, Steph, Stefan, what's your take on the shootout? Yeah, I think that would be good to run them together for those reasons. I mean, I think the other thing there that I'd probably change is can we call it something other than a shootout? Yeah. Because yeah. we kind of all have in our minds what that should be and so then it's, uh, oh, this doesn't feel quite right. But yeah. it is actually a great format for it overall to have a time period to do as many laps as they like just because of the way those GT cars and the tyres, they get quicker and quicker over the run. It, uh, it really is an exciting way of doing it and it gives that point of difference over the Bathurst 1000 which I think is good as well but certainly it could be improved slightly there with that shootout but I think the bit they've got to work on is all the stuff that comes beforehand on how you make the shootout right oh just like so confusing like they have to sort that out it took way too long for the event itself to communicate who had made the shootout on that combined two driver format like it just feels, to me, it feels so unnecessary, complicated, particularly given how unimportant qualifying is in the scheme of the entire race. Like, it's so much effort's gone into, I don't quite know what they're trying to achieve there. You know, the the, the shootout's great. I agree with you with the name, like, but just just take the 10 fastest cars from a qualifying session and send them out for the shootout, right? Surely something like that's got to be the way forward. Yeah, I think any time that you're, you're doing aggregates for qualifying is just a headache. And we've seen that in Australian GT and things as well, that um, it always takes a long time for them to unravel what actually happened. And with this, like, yeah, it kind of brings some of the AM drivers involved in qualifying, which I'm sure is the aim. But then it takes those pro-AM cars, most of them out of contention for the shootout because you do have to rely on the AM. So I think it would be, yeah, it'd be a lot better as a spectacle as well if we had all the Pro-Am cars in the mix that could uh, be right up there. And as it was, there was confusion with some teams on who, sh- who was actually allowed to be driving the cars in the qualifying yep. sessions, which is uh, a bit of a joke. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it was. I think it was David Reynolds that was out in the first session when he wasn't meant to be mm. or something like that. Yeah, it was... Um, it was all quite confusing, and again, like I say, when that when qualifying 
has such a small bearing on the race. I don't know why you wouldn't just take sort of the simplest way to go about it. Um, let's move on to the race and what a race it was, Steph. And, you know, there was this seesawing battle between the Group of M and the Sun Energy One racing Mercs all day. Um, just when it looked like the Group of M car had taken control of the race and it was going to be tough to beat, along came Paulie Martin and Campbell Little to ruin all their fun. Uh, it turned out the car wasn't <laughs> transmitting the data the event requires by the rules due to a faulty modem that was on board. There were some tense negotiations until the team was told that it had to be changed um, at the final compulsory pit stop. That led to a slower stop uh, and that allowed the Sun Energy car back into the game and ultimately cost Group M what looked like would be a fairly straightforward win. Uh, Mikael Grenier said you know, he felt needing to change the unit was unfair on the TV coverage, you know, given that that part was provided by the event and not the team. Stefan, do you think they do have a case to be upset about something like that having such an effect on their race? Well, it's always awkward when a component supplied by the event fails, but there was certainly more to all that than what was apparent during the race. I mean, to go back a step there, it's actually an SRO requirement that the telemetry is being beamed back. They need it to monitor the BOP. So it was ultimately their call. Mm-hmm. And it's a safety thing too, because without the modem working, the warning flags don't appear on the dashboard for the driver, which is, is obviously important. So it did have to be changed and the officials allowed the team to wait until their pit stop to do it. Like if they'd pulled them in straight away, that really would have been game over. So they tried to work with them as best they could in terms of that changeover. But And did they allow actually, them to work in the – was that allowing them to do it while the car was in pit lane? Was that a bit of leeway as well? Yes, I believe that was. And if you look at that pit stop, like there was a bit of smoke coming from the car while it was stationary, which was kind of mm, curious yep. at the time. And so it turned out there was an oil leak of some sort and there was oil all over the floor in the car where the modem actually sits. So basically it had been deep fried in oil. And wow. all that oil in there meant the Velcro mounting for the modem had failed as well. So they had this modem that was soaked in oil flailing around inside the car. So it's no wonder that theirs stopped working and the others were fine. And if anything, it was just a miracle that the replacement that went into the same environment actually got through the last hour. Yeah, look, and I guess that is definitely a point, and I'm sure that point was argued, that, you know, the event had supplied these modems to every car and there was only one that wasn't working. So perhaps there was external factors um, affecting that, and that is very, very well explained by you there, Stefan. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. Um, the, the big ticket item from the race, of course, was the shunt between Jules Gunon and Mara Engel in the final hour there. Now, a week ago, these blokes were winning the Rolex 24 together. Suddenly, they were shunting into each other. Um, I mean, the incident itself, Stefan, was pretty clear cut, right? I mean, Gunon's defence was very impressive, and I just can't see how that move from Engel was on. Yeah, I think the footage said it all on that one. Like, Engel was coming from more than a car length back and he got him pretty much in the rear wheel. So that's going to be a penalty every day of the week. Like, on one hand, good on him for having a go, but, yeah, yeah, it was probably always going to end in tears unless Gunon made a mistake somewhere and and let him through. And the bloke's just in the sort of form where he's just not doing that. 
at the moment. What about the penalty itself? Was it the right penalty? I mean, I saw a post from from Bairdo on social media saying that he felt it was harsh, but he was boxed in by the SRO penalties table. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it was a shame that it was a drive-through, and in supercars, it may have been just a redress that Engel could have opted to do that and gotten away with it. At most, it probably would have been a 15-second penalty, but yeah, that's not how the 12-hour works, so um, the officials can only apply the rules that they've got. Yeah, I mean, 15 seconds, you would back him to have driven driven away mm. to that extent and uh, and probably won the thing fairly comfortably. Uh, again, it would have been interesting with late say if there was a late safety car and that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, I, I found the reaction post race quite interesting as well. I thought we'd really see more fireworks from Maro Engel given his past form. If we remember the SVG blow up from a few years ago, um, but apart from the group of M guys, I believe not spraying any champagne on the podium was all pretty measured. There was a few no comments in the press conference as well. Um, and then Jules really acknowledged how he felt for Maro and he apologised when they braced straight after the race and he apologised again um, in the press conference. So there was sort of – it was highlighted that there was no real bad blood from those guys after the race, just a couple of blokes racing hard and unfortunately they they came together. And let's let's have a listen to some of the post-race reaction from, from Jules and from Maro. First of all, as I say, I apologize tomorrow because last week we won of the biggest race in the world and and this week we fight hard to, to win a race and unfortunately we had contact. So it's never nice because I really consider him as a friend, but I think for a win in batters we are both very competitive and I just decided to also throw everything at it. I really struggled in the last team with double stint tires and was really hard and but at the end we won. I think it's amazing for for Alcodis, Mercedes MG, Kenny Habul, two times winner now also. And uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's amazing. Like I said, it's a very uncomfortable situation as he's a friend. I would have much liked to to touch with somebody else in the room, but um, at the end, it's racing and the chance to win batters in your life are really small. So Mao went for it and I also defended. So it was not only him, it was also me that tried to to make the corner. I saw launch him. So. I think it's a racing incident, um, but at the end, you know, as I said, it's really hard for me to, to be in this situation with him. But uh, I think for, I think to win battles, you will sell your mother. So <laughs> that's what happened a bit today for me. First of all, congrats to, to the 75 crew. Um, as Jules said, you know, uh, we're all good friends, Jules and Kenny and Luca. Um, so very, very happy for them. Um, at the same time, obviously, extremely disappointing for us. I think it was our race, um, and we, we had everything under control until we were requested to uh, to add a data logger uh, at the last pit stop, and um, that uh, sort of threw us behind them. Um, and then from there on, um, I knew I had to make a move, and um, they were just so quick in a straight that it was, yeah, even though I had fresh tires and good exits, it was, it was hard to keep up in a straight, so, went for the move and it's unfortunate we came together. Um, uh, yeah, respect uh, respect the decision uh, the race control took. Um, and uh, not much more to say. The problem is that I obviously knew I had a tire advantage, but when you're, when you're running behind um, in, the, in the slipstream, obviously your tires start to overheat and they do great quicker, so I knew I had to make a move rather quicker. Well, rather quicker than uh, than wait longer because I knew you know I'd start to suffer degradation and and my tire advantage would would be gone. So um, 
that's that's why um, yeah, I chose to, to, to try the move when I did. I tell you what, Stefan, that decision to run the Sun Energy car as an all-pro entry, as we discussed last week, that proved to be a stroke of genius, right? Yeah, it uh, it worked out pretty much like we thought that um, it meant Kenny Habul could uh, do just over an hour in the early stages and then leave it to his two pros to to fight from there. Whereas if you're in pro-am, you have to spend three hours in the car as the am and uh, one of those hours has to be in the second half of the race. So that made a huge difference. He did get that drive-through penalty. Um, we talked about like he got one last year, but he certainly seemed more comfortable overall, I think, Kenny, in the car. Um, the fact that he was in the pro class but still got to do those bronze driver practice sessions on Friday caused a little bit of a stir. But, mm, um, yeah. yeah, ultimately, going in the pro class was a great decision for them. What on earth was going on at Triple Eight on the weekend, Stefan? Like, it was really curious watching it from afar, particularly with Shane Van Gisbergen, who just looked like he was a little bit off the boil. Any clues what was going on with him or with the team over the weekend? Yeah, Shane obviously talked about never really feeling comfortable in the car all weekend, which is certainly unusual. Like we've just become so used to seeing him perform at such a high level every week. I did uh, speak to Triple Eight team manager Mark Dutton about it all, and he suggested that it really started with a lack of laps in practice on the Friday due to the timing of, of those red flags. But um, it was still a surprise to, I think, most of us that Shane wasn't in the car for qualifying. Um, and, yeah, Dado was, was saying that that was actually largely a physics thing where with the 12-hour, the, uh, the driver ballast weight rules are done on the average of the three drivers. So when Shane's in the car, he's just at a 20-kilogram disadvantage to, to Brock and Maxi. So... That uh, certainly hurts in qualifying, but yeah, obviously there was more to the story in the race. Like Shane was really quick in his first stint, and he ended up doing the car's fastest lap of the day in that in that run. But yeah, later on when the car wasn't in such good shape, he certainly wasn't the Shane that we're used to seeing. No, for sure, and I mean that makes sense what you're talking about with the driver physics and that sort of stuff. But I still felt like Brock Feeney really stood up on the weekend. You know, those efforts in qualifying were particularly impressive and he was able to push you know Mario Engel into doing that lap at the end to sort of to sort of, as he's sort of showing of strength and I feel like this is kind of hard to explain but maybe we we sort of saw some really spectacular pace from Brock for the first time maybe as opposed to him just doing a really professional job for a guy at that stage of his career which I feel has sort of been the way he's gone about the business so far it was like oh no this is like absolutely rapid stuff does that make any sense oh for sure it was it was a great performance from him and to be trusted with doing the last stints in the race as well even though the race didn't play out with them sort of right up the front that was a big deal too um it probably helped that he'd done the three-hour gt race in the triple eight merc at bathurst last november at the international so he would yeah. have uh, gone in feeling pretty sharp but uh Certainly a great start to his year and it, it builds the anticipation of just what he can achieve in the supercar this year. It's um, There wasn't a lot of expectation on him last year, but he's finished it with a bang in Adelaide and now it's going to be really fascinating to see uh, how, uh, how competitive he is in the supercar. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually was watching it thinking, okay, this is interesting, you know, particularly when he's in the car and Shane's not. And like you say, there's other factors to that, but still it was – 
yeah, it, it, it did get me a little bit excited about what we could <laughs> potentially see this season. So let's uh, let's wait on that. Let's move on to some supercars news, Steph. And we've finally seen some team Gen 3 cars instead of just the prototypes running round and round and round. Uh, the first was the Blanchard Racing Team uh, Mustang, which turned some uh, laps at Winton last Wednesday and is back there today. We've seen the Grove cars um, and one of the DJR cars in terms of their livery. The number 17 DJR car is testing at QR today along with the MSR, one of the MSR Camaros. That doesn't have a livery on it yet, just a couple of big old truck assist stickers on the door. Um, Stefan, from what we've seen of Team Gen 3 cars, what are you liking? What are you not liking so far? Oh, I think it's just awesome to see the cars rolling out like it's actually getting real now and we saw those prototypes for so long but to actually see cars in race liveries is uh, a whole a whole new thing um I, I was impressed by the look of the prototypes but i do remember when they first rolled out that you were a bit unsure if they really were true supercars yeah have you uh, have you changed your uh, your sort of feeling as we've gone on i'm sort of liking some of the on track um like now the cars have got stickers on them have actually got race liveries on them like you know there's a shot of mm. the cool drive car coming out um of the s's at winton the other day which i thought looked you know when they sort of squat down looked pretty tough i wasn't sold on the shell car just based on the studio piece not that i mean it's a shell livery but on that a bake a fairly straightforward livery on a on maybe a car that doesn't quite have the big aggressive wing and stuff like the Gen 2 cars. I don't know about this, but then some of the on-track photos that have come out today, it looks absolutely spectacular. So I think they're going to look pretty I think they're going to look pretty good. I'm looking forward to seeing a Camaro in a proper race livery. We almost saw something similar <laughs> to that from the Red Bull car, the Red Bull Camaro, which was the prototype for a demo run, as it turned out, after much excitement on Friday night about what that might actually be. Um that you know, so we've sort of seen something, but it'll be nice to see because I think the Camaro is a pretty tough looking thing, and it's going to look pretty good once it gets a proper race livery on it as well. But the Cool Drive car was almost a really nice place to start because that's always a great livery. You know, they're great colours, um, mm. and it was, you know, it was. I think that was actually quite a quite a nice way to sort of get our look first look at a Gen Three car. But you know, it, it definitely feels like it's all getting a bit more real. Now, but at the same time, for all this momentum we have with Gen 3, we've got this parody storm that just won't lay down. And, you know, over the weekend, we, we we actually saw Ford have its say on the record for the first time about it, really. It's all been sort of backgrounding. Now, this was like Ford performance boss Mark Rushbrook coming out and admitting that there's ongoing concerns regarding the aero performance of the Mustang relative to the Camaro and the engine performance with that relationship with the control electronics still proving problematic um, as far as Ford is concerned for that uh, Ford Coyote V8. Um, did anything from those Rushbrook comments jump out at you, Steph? Well, as you suggest, it wasn't really anything that we hadn't heard before, but for the big boss to come out and say it publicly yeah. rather yeah. than just arguing behind the sheds with supercars on it was obviously a pretty big deal. And, yeah, as we know, the recent testing at Queensland Raceway certainly hasn't appeased Ford at all. They're yeah. uh, still banging the table very hard on both the engine and aero side, which, um, yeah, which is not good this close to, to Newcastle. And I think regardless of what happens between now and the first race, this is a topic that's going to rumble on through, uh, through the year. 
All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. The NASCAR preseason is officially underway with Martin Truex Jr. winning the Bush Light Clash at the Los Angeles Coliseum. He had to hold off a late charge from Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch. Young Dutchman Lawrence Van Hopen won the 67th running of the New Zealand Grand Prix at Hampton Downs on the weekend ahead of Lewis Foster and Callum Hedge. The other two Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Championship race wins on the weekend went to Caleb uh, Natoa and Charlie Wirtz. And Ford is coming back to Formula One. The Blue Oval will team up with Red Bull and power both the main team and Alpha Tauri from the 2026 season onwards. Ford was last involved in F1 through the Jaguar team, which it axed at the end of the 2004 season. Uh, Stefan, I find the idea of having Ford, the idea of Ford having this proper presence in Formula One again is something like really, really cool. What do you reckon? Yeah, for sure. It's it's a win all around, I think, for F1, Ford and Red Bull. And it shows, you know, Formula One is such a strong commercial product at the moment. It's really attracting all this interest, including from from the US, which uh, Ford obviously is an American company at heart. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I haven't sort of had time to look at all the detail in terms of the involvement of Ford and Red Bull powertrains in this new 2026 engine. It's sort of interesting that there's it's just been such a positive reaction in general to this, this Ford announcement where um, the mooted Cadillac GM tie-up with Andretti, who's trying to get that extra entry to join the championship. It was uh, a lot of skepticism involved in in just how involved that Cadillac would be. So, uh, yeah, quite different reactions to those uh, those two things. Absolutely, but I think it just it it really just speaks to speaks that massive popularity that F one has that these big brands are willing to make these financial commitments to be involved. You know, it really is it really is a special time for that category. Okay, Castrol mailbag time, and we're going to stick with the unpopular opinions theme this week because I really enjoyed that last week. So we have an absolute beauty of an unpopular opinion here, Stefan. I think you're going to like this mm-hmm. one. So Braden tweeted us saying that having seen the Cool Drive Mustang last week, he thinks the front end of the S650 Mustang is hideous, maybe even worse than the Gen 2 Mustang. Okay, Braden. Whatever you may think of the S650, nothing will ever be as bad as the front end of the Gen 2 Mustang. Let's just draw that line in the sand right now. We've just gotten used to it. Don't let your brain fool you into thinking it was acceptable in any way. That was, it's just, it's not that bad. I don't mind the front end of the car. It is a little, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's kind it's of bold. The, yes. Yeah. There is a lot of sort of detail around that headlight area and stuff that's certainly interesting, but. If we're going to start talking about comparing to the Gen 2 car, come on. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of um, when you just look at the cars that have been uh, released so far, there's just a couple of different ways they're sort of treating that um, grill and those sort of nostrils, for want of a better term. Like the, the DJR car, all of that's black. And if you look at like BRT, they actually had those, um, those nostrils in blue and then Groves have actually gone black for that, but with a colored grill. Um, so yes, some of the combinations like almost look a bit unfinished, like there's a fascia missing or something, but Mm. it's hard to, it's hard to know with these cars, what exactly is a final part and what isn't at the moment. So (laughs) uh, yeah, overall, I think good, but yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see once uh, they're actually on the racetrack for good and proper. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, you're up first this week. Who's getting your Castrol Star? 
Well, I certainly didn't expect my star of the week to be coming out of the combined sedan support category at Bathurst, but uh, I can't go past Bradley Sheriff and more particularly his Nissan Skyline sports sedan, which raised plenty of eyebrows on the weekend, which I'm sure you saw. That car was so fast in a straight line, it did 327 on the speed trap uh, on Conrad and apparently topped out a fair bit quicker than that. So... Unsurprisingly, Motorsport Australia is now assessing uh, rule changes due to safety risks of uh, having cars go that fast. But uh, for now, that car gets my star of the week. That is a very worthy star recipient, I reckon. Now, I'm going to give my Castrol star to Jules Gunon this weekend, um, not just because he's a the first three-time uh, Bathurst 12-hour winner, but there was a cool little story story about a unicorn that was on his race suit on the weekend. Um, he spoke about it a little bit at the end of the broadcast, but to, to offer some more detail on that, the, the story is that one of the HWA or AMG engineers had to take one of his seat inserts back from a race recently and decided while it was at his house to give it to his daughter to decorate, and she covered it in unicorn stickers and glitter. And since then, it's become a bit of a good luck charm for Jewel. And uh, when they ordered him the Sun Energy One suit for Bathurst last weekend, they decided to stick a unicorn on it for good luck. And um, he certainly got some of that when that uh, transmitter decided to drop into the uh, the fish fryer <laughs> and um, and cook itself. So I guess it uh, it really worked. So, um, yeah, I'll give that start of you order the unicorn, order the door, anyone. So they can all share. They can share the star. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.